Welcome back to our study of the book of Philippians. We are looking this time at Philippians chapter 4, verses 2 and 3, where Paul addresses two women in the church, Euodia and Syntyche, who apparently are experiencing some kind of conflict, a disagreement that Paul wants to see resolved. And so he addresses it in this letter and even asks a companion to help the women resolve their conflict. And so our focus in these verses are going to, is going to be to see what we can learn from the Apostle Paul about how to address conflict in our own lives and in the church. And Paul, of course, was no stranger to conflict. He embraced conflict when he was persecuting the church before he met Christ. And then after he met Jesus on the road to Damascus and became an apostle, Uh, conflict pursued him as he went from city to city preaching the gospel. He was at times uh, imprisoned, at least once stoned and left for dead. He was run out of town. He uh, was opposed. A riot broke out in Ephesus because of his preaching. So Paul experienced a lot of conflict and not only conflict between believers and unbelievers, um, but also he experienced conflict inside of the church and between brothers and sisters in Christ. Paul opposed Peter. Galatians 2 tells us when Peter was walking out of step with the gospel. Um, Paul was at the Jerusalem Council in Acts chapter 15 when people were saying that Gentiles had to become Jews, essentially, in order to be saved. Um, Paul had a falling out of sorts with his friend Barnabas, who he had traveled and planted churches with when uh, they had a disagreement about whether or not to take along Mark with them on one of their missionary journeys because Mark had uh, left them in the middle of one of their earlier journeys. And so Paul and Barnabas parted company over that. So uh, Paul was not exempt from conflict. He experienced conflict in the church uh, and among brothers and sisters in Christ. And so we want to learn from this Uh, apostle and man of God in this letter how to address conflict in our own lives and in the church. So what is he going to say about these two women? What is he going to advise them to do? Let's look at Philippians chapter 4 verses 2 and 3. He says, I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. So notice the first thing that Paul does is he appeals to these women, and he does not command them. He, he could say, I order you as an apostle to agree and, and deal with this conflict, but he doesn't do that. He entreats them. He appeals to them. He exhorts them. He encourages them. He pleads with them. And we should think about the fact that it is, um, it is often better to appeal to someone, even when we may have the authority or the right to tell them what to do, uh, it is often better and more productive to appeal to them instead of commanding them. We see the same thing in Paul's little letter to Philemon when he uh, was addressing the matter of Philemon's slave who had run away and apparently become a Christian um, while he was with the Apostle Paul and now Paul is sending him back to Philemon. 
and uh, Paul could command him, uh, he talks about, to do the right thing, but instead he appeals to him. And uh, that's what Paul does here as well. And it's good for us to think about that, that sometimes it's best to appeal uh, rather than give a command. The second thing is that he encourages them to agree in the Lord, but we know from what Paul says elsewhere that he doesn't expect people to agree about everything, right? So he says, I entreat you, Odia, and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. And all throughout this letter, he has been encouraging the church in Philippi to be united. In chapter 1, verse 27, he says, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the of the gospel. So I want to hear that you're united. I want to hear that you are on the same page and that you are uh, engaged in the the same um, pursuit, right? And that you are rallying around the gospel together. Uh, Early in chapter two, he says, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. So he wants them to be united and unified and harmonious. But he doesn't expect everybody to agree about everything. In fact, as recently as chapter 3 and verse 15, he said, Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. So he's anticipating that not everybody's going to agree even with what he says as an apostle. And in Romans chapter 14, he uh, addresses the fact that there are sort of two different groups in the the church at Rome, Um, some who eat meat and some who eat only vegetables, some who observe uh, the Sabbath and maybe other special days and some who treat all days the same. And he says, that's fine. Just don't judge each other about that. Just, you know, get on about your business, be fully convinced in your own mind, but it's not a big deal. So don't fight about it. So Paul doesn't expect believers to agree about everything all the time, but he does desire for them, as Jesus desired for us and prayed for us in John 17, he desires for us to be united, to be in harmony and fellowship, and to agree about all the most important things. And so if we take taking in that whole context, um, I think we can say Paul is not concerned about some sort of um, minor disagreement that's not really disrupting their relationship. This must be something that is a sort of constant source of, of um, not only disagreement, but also disruption of their fellowship and perhaps causing more uh, disruption in the church outside of just these two ladies. We, we just don't know. But it's a big enough deal that Paul is addressing it. Um, and so we know it's significant. Um, and we know that he wants them to be united and be in, in fellowship. Um, we know it's significant enough that he called them out publicly. I mean, think about this. This letter is probably going to be read out in the church. Think about hearing your name pronounced. Okay, you and you, uh, you need to get over this conflict. That's essentially what Paul does. Um, And it's significant enough that he asks a third person uh, to help fix it. And we'll talk about that more in just a bit. But um, again, it's not apparently a major problem, 
but it's significant enough that it needs to be addressed. And uh, in our own lives, in our own churches, we need to be on the lookout for disagreements that hinder us from agreeing in the Lord, from experiencing that unity around the gospel, around the fundamental truths of of the faith about who God is and what God has done, sending his son to die on the cross and be raised from the dead for our salvation by grace through faith apart from works. We obviously need to agree on all of those things and we need to be on guard against things that um, may not, uh, disagreements that may not be over those big issues, but that are significant enough that they, um, they get in the way of us enjoying that unity we have in the gospel itself. Right? So he encourages them to agree in the Lord, though he doesn't expect them to agree on everything. This is something significant enough that it needs to be addressed. Um, third thing is that he acknowledges their gospel labor and gospel partnership. Now notice this. He says about these women that they have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers. So he counts them as fellow laborers, as partners in the gospel. They have labored alongside him. They have uh, worked to advance the gospel along with Paul. In other words, these are not just sort of, you know, um, sideline Christians, so to speak, um, if we can even even say that. But th- these are ladies who have, they have given their time, they have given their energy, they have labored, they are committed, um, and presumably um, they are would be fairly mature Christians. Um, or if not, if, if we can't go so far as to say mature, we at least say very committed, very um, eager uh, believers who nonetheless disagree. So that means that Christians who are serious enough about the gospel to labor alongside of Paul or to labor faithfully in their church can still experience conflict. And it means that having a serious disagreement with someone uh, does not mean that one of you doesn't care about the gospel. So um, sometimes uh, we can become disillusioned when we realize that um, people inside of our church or um, you know other believers that we are close to um, that they don't always get along right um, maybe you uh, when you first became a Christian and you joined a church and everything was going well right at first and then um, you know a couple of believers in your church or in your group or whatever got into a little tiff and it caused a problem and you thought what is happening? I thought Christians were supposed to agree, agree on everything. I thought Christians were supposed to get along. I thought Christians were supposed to do this and do that. Um, we are supposed to agree and as much as we can. And we are supposed to get along and be unified and forgive and, and so on. But that doesn't mean that we never experience conflict. And it doesn't mean that when we do experience conflict, um, that one of us, it must be, be because one of us is not a Christian or one of us is not really serious about the gospel. It, it's just that we're sinners and we get stuff wrong and we do stuff wrong and sometimes we blow things out of proportion and some things we, sometimes we um, 
are wrong about something serious or sometimes we genuinely sin against one another or offend one another uh, and those things have to be resolved and it doesn't always happen automatically so don't let that catch you by surprise um, don't let that derail you uh, Paul dealt with this right and we're gonna have to deal with it okay so um, acknowledge that even people who are involved in serious gospel ministry might not always get along. Remember Paul and Barnabas. Remember Paul and Peter, right? Sometimes there's going to be conflict. Uh, Notice that Paul also confirms, this is the fourth thing, confirms that these ladies are Christians. He says there at the end of verse 3 that their names are in the book of life. They belong to the Lord. They um, are going to enter the new creation uh, after Jesus' return. They are genuine believers. All right? Now, there are conflicts in the Bible and divisions in the Bible that uh, prove that at least one party involved is not really saved. Okay? So that kind of thing does happen. For example, 1 John 2.19, Paul says, they went, or excuse me, John says, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. So in other words, John is writing to a church that has split, and the faction that has left... Paul, uh, John says the reason why they left is they weren't really of us in the first place. They, they, aren't, they weren't even really Christians in the first place. If they had been, they would have stayed with us. But they went out, they left, they split, that it might become plain, he says, that they all are not of us. Their split proved that they didn't really believe the gospel. And if you read the rest of 1 John, you can catch some of the things that they believed that were serious gospel issues. They didn't believe, if, if he's talking about the same people here as he's talking about in 1 John 4, they didn't believe that Jesus really came in the flesh, that he had a physical body, which rules out his incarnation, his death, and his resurrection. So there can be conflict that proves uh, someone's not even a Christian or a group of people are not even believers, but this is not one of those. There are also conflicts between genuine believers, faithful Christians, Um, who, for whatever reason, get in a tiff or get upset at one another or offend one another or whatever. And that doesn't mean that one of them is not saved. It is possible, and something we have to watch out for, it is possible to get to a place where you think that someone who disagrees with you over something not essential is either not a Christian or not worthy to be a Christian leader. That's dangerous. And we have to be careful of... Uh, not getting to a place where we think that um, everyone who disagrees with us um, shouldn't even be counted as a brother or shouldn't be allowed to be in leadership or, or something like that. Um, there are cases where, where that sh- is the way we should respond. Again, just like in First First John 2, right? Sometimes um, the conflict that is erupting is evidence that someone's a false teacher or not really a Christian. But what we have to be aware of is assuming that's the case in instances where there's no there's no denial of gospel truths or there's no breaking of fellowship over 
foundational uh, biblical doctrines, but where we just don't get along, or we just don't agree, or we have a difference of opinion. And what we don't want to do is turn that into this huge uh, thing where we start saying, well, I'm not even sure if you're saved, and I can't even believe anybody lets you lead anything inside the church or anything like that. These ladies had a real disagreement, significant enough that it had reached Paul's ears. He included it in a letter and addressed it publicly, and yet he didn't say, I can't believe I ever let those ladies work alongside of me. And he didn't say, uh, one of you must just not even be a Christian. No, he said, these are faithful ladies. They have served in the gospel. They've been my partners, my co-laborers. Their names are in the book of life. They're Christian sisters. I want them to get along. Uh, so finally, he what does he do? Number five, he asks a third person to help them. Notice there in verse three, he says, Yes, I ask you also, true companion, or your translation might say, loyal Zizigus. Uh, That's just, um, are they going to think that word is a name, Zizigus, or are they going to translate it and use it as sort of like a reference for this person, a, a loyal um, companion or true companion that means the same thing, right? Help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel and so on. So he calls for a third party to sort of act as a mediator, a helper to get this problem resolved. And sometimes that's what we need. Sometimes we need a wise brother or sister when we're having a conflict with somebody else. Uh, sometimes we need a, a brother or sister in Christ who's mature and uh, loving and wise and helpful and faithful to come alongside of us and help us work toward reconciliation. Maybe you've been in a conflict like this before where um, the two of you that are at loggerheads, you just can't see around whatever it is that has divided you. You can't figure out how to fix it. You can't seem to look past it. Uh, you can't seem to let go of whatever the issue is and uh, you don't know how to get back into fellowship and unity with one another. Sometimes it need, it takes somebody else from outside to come in and start asking questions and start helping you see what the root issue is and uh, helping you see how you can resolve it. Sometimes it takes a third person to get involved to, um, to help us, right? So people are gonna have conflict. Christians are gonna have conflict. That is to be expected. Relationships suffer because people sin. But the gospel, being a Christian, changes how we respond in those situations, or at least it should. Right? We should not be content to let disunity go on. It needs to be addressed. That relationship needs to be reconciled where possible. Now, it's not always possible. right? Paul says in Romans 12, he says, As far as it depends upon you, live at peace with all men. Sometimes... People don't want to be reconciled to you. And there's not a thing you can do to fix it. Well, you, you just do what you can and then you just have to move on. But when possible, we want to be reconciled, especially to brothers and sisters in Christ, when there's something that's dividing us. All right, so remember Paul talked about in Philippians 
uh, chapter 2, he called for this unity, being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. And what's the next thing he said? Do nothing from selfish ambition. Count others more significant than yourself. Have this mind in you, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, right? Um, he became a man and he took on flesh and he became a servant and he humbled himself and became obedient even to the point of death. In other words, one of the things you're going to have to do to be unified is you have to humble yourself. You have to think of others. You're going to have to act like Christ. And again, sometimes it takes somebody from the outside coming in to help us see how we can do that, how we can imitate Christ, how we, how we need to humble ourselves, how we need to think of others um, in reconciling that conflict. Right, so um, do what you can to reconcile those broken relationships. Don't be afraid to ask for help. Don't be upset if somebody who loves you tries to help, um, even if you haven't asked. Right? If, if you're at an impasse and other people are noticing that there's a conflict going on, it, it's no longer a private quarrel between the two of you. It's become a public issue, and it, that makes it an issue for your brothers and sisters, for the church. Right? And so if, they, if one of them comes alongside to try to help you, welcome that uh, encouragement. Welcome that help. Welcome that attempt to foster reconciliation and, and healing and help. So um, as brothers and sisters, we want to be, we need to be, we ought to be unified. Right? And so that means resolving conflict. That means dealing with our disunity and disagreements. We want to see the whole church unified, working together, loving one another, fellowshipping together. We're going to disagree about certain things, but we don't want that to turn into a division that hinders our fellowship in the Lord. That's what Paul is concerned about, and that's what we need to watch out for as well.